And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop, and I thank you for joining us. The revitalization of the cannabis industry has triggered a lot of interest and debate for the indigenous people living in sovereign tribal nations throughout the U.S. and Canada. For thousands of years, cannabis was considered a staple resource that was revered amongst tribal cultures for its practical, spiritual, and medicinal benefits. But ever since the passage of the Controlled Substances Act of 1971, it's been a source of conflict between the government and tribal councils. Despite authority of sovereign nations to pass their own laws pertaining to hemp and cannabis, the federal government has repeatedly imposed sanctions on reservations that fail to comply with federal laws, amongst other restrictions that sort of perpetuate poverty and dependence. While cannabis should have offered a way out of that cycle, the legislative treaty has been a source of confusion because, well, as one U.S. attorney remarked, it encourages investment, but after the investment is made, the federal government shuts it down and the investors lose all their money. The problem was most prevalent on Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, which is an area covering about 20 million acres of land in South Dakota. That's where members of the Oglala Sioux and Lakota tribes began investing in hemp as a means to generate economic growth, end unemployment, and solve environmental issues with hemp as a renewable resource. Their efforts were thwarted by multiple DEA raids resulting in prosecutions and the destruction of all of their crops. Ironically, the persecution for growing a harmless plant that could provide a sustainable alternative to fossil fuels was dwarfed by a greater confrontation with the federal government for protesting the Keystone XL pipeline, which threatened to not only disrupt the ecological balance of tribal lands, but also carry a substance that was probably the greatest contributor to the escalating climate crisis. And while the conflicts with the DEA over hemp and cannabis have diminished some in recent years, a new executive order by the Trump administration has reversed the Obama-era directive to stop the Keystone XL pipeline. And under this new order, a militarized police force is directed to impose brutal force, if necessary, to remove activists who dare to protest the destructive project. The bigger irony is that the crackdown on peaceful protesters will be paid for by a so-called peace fund, which no one in the sovereign nation has access to. But then I digress. What's really important to note here is that there's untapped power among indigenous people to regain control of their own destiny, but it's going to take some education and funding for them to realize it. Hemp and cannabis can play a major role if they choose to embrace it. And now that hemp is legal everywhere in the U.S., there's an opportunity for them to reclaim it as a sustainable cash crop that will not only provide a lucrative economic boost for reservations, but with the right investment in infrastructure, 
could actually enable them to take the lead in replacing fossil fuels for a more sustainable future. Same goes for medical cannabis, which they are free to cultivate, research, and distribute within their sovereign nations without interference, should they exercise their right to do it. That's the topic of today's show and something our guests know a lot about. Dr. Von Setian is a, an economic development advisor and recognized expert in urban and tribal healthcare development, implementation, and management. He currently serves as an authorized agent and economic development advisor in the Navajo Nation on federal and foreign affairs related to strategic business implementations in industries such as energy, healthcare, agribusiness, banking, gaming, hospitality, and technology. Throughout more than 13 years, he's been involved in both acute and post-acute healthcare services development in California, Arizona, and New Mexico. Among other leadership roles, he's a chief executive officer and founder of Native American Pharmacy and Nutri-Native Corporation. And he recently brought, for the first time in history, hospice and related services to the Navajo Nation as the founder of Palliation Collaborative, a chronic disease prevention management and palliation network serving veterans, urban Native Americans, and underserved communities throughout the U.S. He's also executive emeritus of Sacred Canyons Project, a nonprofit that serves tribal healthcare and economic development needs. He's an honorary member of Psy Chi, the International Honor Society in Psychology, and he's won multiple awards and honors, and he's also a participating member of Association of Former Intelligence Officers. Also with me today is Juan Cano Sanchez. He's a dynamic entrepreneur, philanthropist, and performing artist who happens to be of the Lakota, Pueblo, and Spanish descent. He's principal member of Linear Consultants, president of Silver Moon Productions, and chief executive officer of Freedom Services. He's also the founder and director of Operation Peace Project, a tribal 501c3 nonprofit organization that focuses on Native American veterans. Having served in the field of psychiatric nursing for decades in Arizona and working with institutions such as Summit Place and Desert Vista Hospital, he joined the Native American Healthcare Initiative of Palliation Collaborative, which he co-founded with Dr. Von Setian. Throughout his life, he's worked diligently to raise awareness and help prevent teen and veteran suicide through music, arts, and entertainment. As the front man and lead vocalist of Clandestine, he received the Native American Music Award in the category of Pop and Rock and the Governor's Award of Excellence by the State of Arizona. He's also host and executive producer of Clandestine Live, an incredibly entertaining online variety show. So welcome to both of you. First, I'd like to just say thank you so much to both of you for being here. Thank you, Stone. I'm really grateful. And I haven't covered so much the Native American community mm -hmm. when it comes to cannabis. And so this is a real treat for me because I'd really like to Absolutely. learn a lot yeah. more. So mm -hmm. anyway, I'm really interested in cannabis in relation to the Native American communities mm -hmm. here in the United States. And as I had mentioned to you before, there's this difference between federal law and then the sovereign law as it pertains to the reservations. Mm -hmm. 
and I just want to get a feel for what some of the primary differences are so that our audience understands the difference. Yeah. Don, you want to start? Sure. Uh, really speaking directly to that, we can, as uh, observers, if you will, if you take a look at the native communities and you, you picture gaming, everybody's familiar with gaming, right? Mm -hmm. So with tribal sovereignty and enterprise, what we've seen happening up to this point in our lifetime, we watched the entire industry of gambling be changed by what tribal sovereignty mm -hmm. did to that industry. We were able to open casinos in a place that gambling was illegal, mm -hmm. right? And whether I agree with anything they're doing or disagree at this point, there is an extremely unique and beautiful opportunity for industries of all types, especially cannabis and hemp right now in mm -hmm. this day and age, for them to embrace tribal enterprise. And I'll end this and pass the mic Every individual enrolled Native American person, they are allowed to start enterprise outside of permission. They don't need federal permission. You don't need tribal council permission. Mm -hmm. You can simply start a cannabis dispensary or a grow. But to get there, just like in any other industry, it takes capital. Right. And, right. Uh, yeah, and here's a more blunt um, <laughs> answer to, to your question. I'm, a, I'm an authorized agent within the Navajo Nation Farm Board. And uh, as a non-native uh, tribal official, you might say, I, I can tell you a few things about their sovereignty that many even natives don't know. First of all, there is no federal or state jurisdiction on tribal sovereignty. Mm -hmm. They can do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is that many have been brainwashed to think that they cannot. So if we take a, a nation, let's say the Navajo Nation, a an individual member of that tribe can grow cannabis and hemp on the reservation. They shouldn't be bothered with, you know, what the state or the federal government says because they have their own treaty with the federal government. They are a nation within a nation. Mm. They have their own laws. They have their own police force. They have their own jail, jail system, you know, judicial system, legislative body, uh, council members. So they, they already are sovereign. Mm -hmm. So asking where the, uh, to the state whether it can be done or not is just ir irrelevant. So what the individual members need to realize within the tribe is that if they do have the capital, uh, they can really do this um, at, a, at a grander scale where they can, like Kano said, create these uh, mutually beneficial joint ventures. Right. So are there restrictions for people who are not part of the nation to come in and partner? to provide the capital? No, uh, they can certainly partner up with other businesses within the tribe, mm -hmm. um, whether it's California, New Mexico, Utah, doesn't matter. Um, right. If you have uh, the mutual understanding with the tribal uh, member that they want to create a business, then all capital is welcome. Right. Okay. So before the states started passing cannabis laws and, mm -hmm. and reforming their laws within the state boundaries. Yeah. And obviously that didn't impact the federal law because mm -hmm. it's still schedule one. But before the state started doing that, what was the feeling about cannabis within the reservation setting? Well, uh, cannabis has been their ancestral plant for thousands of years. Yeah, but in cannabis recent plant, history, right. in recent, in recent history, history. Uh, we can say in the past decade that there's been tribes that have exercised their sovereignty and were raided, 
illegally, if you will. Yeah. Right? Just like a lot of the California legal cannabis operations mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. were under, within law, within guidelines, right? Like, and then the they Lakota would be raided, tribe, for right? example, exactly. was going through this and it was a huge issue. And right. it's like, okay, well, where is that separation of sovereignty? Well, this is, and, and this is an interesting point to speak directly to. Okay, because this is what has been the disparity between natives and the federal government from day one mm -hmm. is that communications break down and then violence exudes immediately. Right. right. So with that tribal enterprise with the Lakota people where you have grandma, literally grandma and grandpa growing a crop that is is whether you agree or not, that is spiritual to them. Mm -hmm and has been passed to them generationally, and they're growing this plant that is a family member, it's a relative in our belief and their belief. Mm -hmm. And again, whether you agree with it or not is irrelevant. Right. So if you're on a sovereign land and grandma and grandpa who are medicine people grow cannabis and they are within federal regulations, they've, they've got all their papers stamped and they, they have a fence, they think they're within law my question is, why does it then have to go to violence to where that grandpa and grandma are thrown on the floor and, and treated like they're... These are elder Lakota people. This isn't me and my buddy Jimmy in Los Angeles selling dope. Mm -hmm. This is grandma and grandpa inherently holding Peji as a tribal uh, entity, a relative that will help us through times. Yeah. Okay, and so then you have a military action and that gets obliterated but that wouldn't happen in any other community and it wouldn't be stood for mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so as i embrace cannabis industries and everyone knows that story we can yeah. all read about it yeah and i've sat with many companies many very influential cannabis owners who could be philanthropists and are who have embraced our structure what we have and who know the story of the Lakota story or many people who, and we're on the cannabis reporter, many people who I sat in a circle with, and this sounds familiar to some other treaty stuff, right? right. Many people that I sat in a circle with and we shared a spiritual moment. And as, as we passed this, this herb around that was healing our mind, that was connecting us to philosophy and maybe opening barriers that helped us communicate. Yeah. We sat at those tables and we made those blessings and we've made those offerings. And it's really important for cannabis industry to understand if you want to embrace the plant and do good. And we all know what hemp can do in the industry. We know hemp can change everything, 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 right? Cannabis, move that into healthcare and autism and all the things we know. Right. Yeah. yeah. So as far as for the the social perspective on, on cannabis. Many Native Americans are brainwashed to think that it's a drug. Right. So it is As a, is everyone. Yeah. So mm. basically it's a, it is a federal and state and, and attorney kind of a term that has scared them to death. That's why they can't even recognize their ancestral plant um, as, a, as, a, as a medicine. Mm -hmm. So when you have that, um, you already realize how bad the situation is, how, um, how poisoned these people are to a point where they don't even recognize what saved them for thousands of years when they had ailments and so forth. Right. 
And right. so if we if we kind of start educating, we are just re-educating mm -hmm. as much as we can uh, to um, to the elders, especially because elders have a lot to say and they have a lot of power over uh, their community. So right. uh, it's it's a very good idea for us to speak with the elders and for them to really understand. No, this is was our ancestral plant. And they can go back to their community and say, you know, if we use this, especially on a, a medicinal standpoint, it can really help both on the tribal level uh, and also at a, a metropolitan level, for mm. example. Right? Um, we can utilize hemp and cannabis uh, for home health patients, right. for hospice patients, yeah, yeah. and, you know, in, in children's hospitals, for example, to alleviate pain and so forth. Mm -hmm. So we understand FDA is embedded with the pharma, right? Mm -hmm. So... <clears throat> Uh, the pharmaceutical organizations, uh, they need patients. They don't need cured people. Mm -hmm. So if if I'm a scientist with a bow tie that comes to a pharma and says, listen, I, I found you know a cure for cancer, let's say, what's going to happen to me on my way home? Something's going to happen to me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, if you don't get run off the road. Yeah, so yeah. We, we have nothing. It has not, the, the, the cannabis rejection has nothing to do with having no evidence mm -hmm. that it's actually medicinal, right? Uh, it has to yeah. do with creating this industry where people are continuing to be sick. And they, right. they, so that's that's the problem. Uh, the, the misinformation, uh, the disinformation, especially around cannabis and hemp. Mm -hmm. Right, that's very important. And, and again, I get heated because it's very emotional and it's close to home as we, we know all the disparities, even down to... Uh, let's speak for myself directly to Native community. Uh, cannabis has been a Schedule One drug, mm -hmm. right? But we have watched in the recent years more opiates be distributed than ever on the face of the planet. Yep. Mm -hmm. And yet in this time, there was young people, old people alike that were being arrested, that were being treated like enemies of the state because they were holding a gram of an herb. Yeah, and that's something that is really hard to reconcile from a conscience level. Right, right. You know, when, you, when you're talking about this military-industrial complex, basically creating violence out of something that creates peace and then perpetuating a law that makes the cycle repeat itself over and over and over again. I interviewed Steve D'Angelo recently. He's just started a new organization called The Last Prisoner, Prisoner Project. Project. Yes, you know about it. Yeah. And it's really interesting to kind of follow how tough it is, and even in states where they've passed these laws, mm -hmm. to get people out of prison. And he said something recently, not on my show, but um, recently somewhere else. He said, it must be horrible to be inside a cell looking through bars and realizing that there are people making millions of dollars doing exactly what I'm in jail for. Yeah. And that was a really powerful statement. And when right. you think about it, and I think he actually was responding to the state of Washington, their legislature, passing or trying to pass a law that limits the amount of THC in extracts. Now imagine if you're a patient yeah. and you need to have a compound of 100% THC, let's say you need that potency to add to some other profiles in order to treat your specific type of cancer, which mm. they happen to have science for, mm. yeah. what are you, you supposed to do? It really defies logic. Yes. But well, the, well, for now, we need to do that <clears throat> on tribal lands. So this is the idea. Mm -hmm. um, why even wait for 
federal or state decisions on the use of cannabis and hemp for medicinal purposes where we can create actual medical cities and tourism mm -hmm. spots on sovereign lands. Mm -hmm. So why not bring them here and we can create the city right here. FDA and USD have no jurisdiction over so sovereign lands. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what's interesting to me is we're, you know, we're all doing business and there's an economy, right? And, right. and you and I, of course, with our show, if we're going to ask for a a sponsor or something, we have to provide quite a bit of information and proof as to what we're doing, who we're reaching, right? Mm -hmm. And it's beyond me as to how a certain industries with no proof of helping the community can exist. You have healthcare institutions that have existed for a hundred years that literally show zero, not just zero project, project progress, but let's speak directly to it. And again, I don't wear a bow tie, so you can meet me on the way home. I'm ready to talk to you. Right. Okay? And I'll speak to this, is that if IHS has been in operation for 100 years, and they're one of the biggest culprits of spreading the opiate epidemic, mm -hmm. okay, and that's federal funds that is paying for that, mm -hmm. and then they're also culprits of a lot of really bad things in regard to uh, Native American health care, and it's proven, it's documented. Oh, yeah. Okay, so an organization like that, why are they allowed to continue to exist? And why are we as Americans, we just watched the Super Bowl, and I'm down with it. I understand entertainment, right? But we were all rooting for our team this week, you know, and we wanted that team to win. At what point do we realize that the prison industry is a team with a jersey on? And the pharma industry is another team with a jersey on. And the FDA is a NASCAR with stickers all over it. Mm -hmm. It is not an industry. It is not law. It is not written into place. They just have existed so long and have so many strategic relationships and yeah. capital and funding that we think it's law. Mm. I'm glad he brought up IHS. Um, yeah. Indian Health Service uh, was established officially in 1955. And has been getting at least an average of $5 billion a year. And there actually are the reason why there is opioid abuse. Um, even though it's guised as healthcare service, it's really not. Um, it's basically allocating the, the, the federal funding into administrators' coffers. So they will build hospitals that doesn't work. I mean, you have seen those hospitals. Mm -hmm. um, on the Navajo Nation, there are 14 of them. And all those patients are being shipped out to the city because they can't do anything. So these, uh, these hospitals are being uh, managed by administrators and clerics. Um, no really competent administrators either. I mean, you have uh, so many administrative people within IHS that really don't need to be there. One person can do the, the job of 50. Mm. So if he can just eliminate, you know, a multi-million dollar salary right there and actually pay for the physicians, we're down there in the trenches to, for them to help the patients. That would do better good. So uh, basically IHS is a, an obsolete organization. Right. It, it, should, it should be privatized and dismantled, uh, number one, uh, because we can do on a private level a much more good than just seeing these uh, hospitals trying to be managed by people that are incompetent, basically. And many former former IHS directors agree. Mm -hmm. We see that. Um, one example I can tell you <clears throat> is that uh, a, a Native American family was shipped out from a hospital on the reservation level to a hospital here in Phoenix. 
Okay, so if you're a hospital on the reservation, why would you ship out this person? And if if it was a hospital that actually had the the capability and the services in the first place, they wouldn't need to ship out grandma and grandpa. So uh, we we really need to go back to these hospitals and the healthcare system that really doesn't exist. It's just smoke and mirrors. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Well, there, let's, yeah. Let's speak to the opportunity, yeah. like you're saying. Yeah, so the opportunity is this. Why even wait to help a native? Why wait to help an underserved community member when uh, private uh, providers and, and organizations can come together and just do it without asking for permission? You know, we can build a private hospital on tribal lands. Right. We can build clinics for, let's say, post-rape Native American women. Mm. Okay. That's a, that's a very interesting topic, and nobody's talking about it because of chances are these women that have been raped, uh, they also think of suicide. Right. Right. So we do have so many areas for us to concentrate on, and we do have so many uh, private investors and, and physician groups that can come together. It's almost like we all are in this understanding. We, ha- we all, and to use a, a direct term, we're kind of enlightened to what the reality is, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But what I keep seeing is, is a disparity of when our, because there's key decision makers in every position as we move around, right? And when are those key decision makers going to decide, you know, at one point, okay, we built 29 prisons in this region and we closed 26 schools. And we can talk politics if we want. We can argue budget. We can do all these things. And that's where we get lost is that on the surface, we are the United States of America. We are free. (laughs) We are free, but we house the most criminals and and literally on the face of the planet. We're setting precedents and we're all aware of this. And at what point, if you have budget, if you're working and you're operating a business, and I'm not speaking bad about entrepreneurs, I'm an entrepreneur, I worked hard, I work hard every day, I get up and I put every bit of passion and love and everything into it. So it's interesting to me that if you're an American citizen, you're a relative to the tribe next to you, in a way, in a big way. Mm -hmm. And what I see is this disconnect there's no dialogue. Those no, there's no direct interaction where we're completely understanding. We we meet each other, and most times we we go ahead with the stereotypes or we go ahead with the fears, and we don't realize that the opportunity right now in our country is is very easy. We can argue about the surface stuff and who's more popular if we want. Mm-hmm. But if you're an individual that has capital, that is an entrepreneur. And you want to create something, you have to sacrifice to do this. Mm-hmm. 99.9% of the human population was hard working, making their way so that we can get in a nice car today. So where do we connect that now? Of cannabis right. industry now is making, they are, it's the biggest growing industry. They have a the lot fastest of growing right, right fastest now, yeah. And, yeah. and there's a lot of capital. There's a lot of capital and I know there's groups doing good things. But I'm speaking on behalf of tribal nations. I'm speaking on behalf of North America, Turtle Island, this place that when are we going to all start ignore, stop ignoring that we're all relatives? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is sort of an awakening going on right now. And I think that we can see it in our politics. We can see it in 
this energy that's being driven toward getting rid of some of these institutions that are really just yeah. creating horrible things. The prison industrial complex. And I, I can see your point, Vaughn, about the privatization of hospitals and giving people an opportunity to really run them more mm -hmm. efficiently and all yep. of that. Mm -hmm. But there is one privatization segment that I think needs to go away entirely, mm -hmm. and that is the prison system. Yeah. Because it is perpetuating well, sure. these they're ridiculous laws, and they're making lots of money incarcerating people, and Absolutely. for what? you know? And yep. it's creating more disparity and more poverty and people unable to vote, people unable to get a place to live or oh, get sure. a job because they have a felony record. So, it, it's a problem. And, and, and on, on a positive standpoint, uh, cannabis and hemp being popular and all, I think that it, it has the answer to many of the uh, mm -hmm. societal and economic development issues uh, of all the underserved communities, not just Native Americans. Mm -hmm. Um, on a healthcare standpoint, uh, most of the underserved communities get less care than the rest of the population. That's we can see that. Right. Uh, but at the same time, if we can just harness the industrial hemp and medicinal cannabis, we can really see huge strides being made. Because once um, cannabis is legalized federally, it's going to be as cheap as grass. Right. Mm -hmm. So anybody can grow. But what will remain is the, the expertise of it making a quality medicinal cannabis mm -hmm. and also the people who know how to uh, make industrial hemp uh, into all these different more than 50,000 products. Right. Right. So this was going to be my next segue mm -hmm. and you did it for me. There's been a tradition throughout history of the indigenous cultures protecting the land, and sustainability has always been a big focus, and this is what has enabled people to live for thousands of years, you know, using the land effectively, sustainably, so that they can go back to it and rely on it again and again and again. And I'm a capitalist. I think that everybody should have, you know, opportunity to thrive, but not at the expense of the future of our children. Mm -hmm. So from the Native American standpoint, returning to industrial hemp, it seems as though it would just be a natural for the community to actually take the lead on creating some of the infrastructure that is not allowed on the outside or that hasn't even been conceived on the outside yeah. to replace fossil fuels in its entirety. Maybe I can start and Connell can chime in. Um, the, the industrial hemp has been used even during World War II. Native mm -hmm. Americans were creating the, the uniforms for the armed forces, right? Mm -hmm. So they, have, they had that already in place. The economy was very strong all the way until the 70s. And then uh, the, the federal government realized that natives are progressing. We've got to stop to it. So they started burning all the hemp. They started killing all the sheep. Um, and, and the livestock, because they realized that if the natives start having a self-determination and a thriving economy, they can not only be unstoppable, but they can also buy Native America back, I mean, uh, United States back. Mm -hmm. so, so it's not a coincidence that the Native Americans are mostly impoverished, because uh, once they have capital, they can buy the lands, fee simple lands, mm -hmm. and automatically turn that into tribal. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I call it a systematic genocide 
and the culture side that's happening to the Native Americans right now because once they die off, the federal government can take the lands because there is nobody else to claim it. That's why it's happening. That's why they want America without Native Americans. Yeah. That's the plan. And whatever the plan is, it's working, right? Well, it's uh, working. It IHS is, is right? working. Yeah. It is working. They're succeeding in the initiatives, right? They're mm -hmm. they're hitting their checkpoints as we go and, and social issues and things have gotten worse even though there's so-called programs, you know, and, and it doesn't get news unless there's like a big uproar, like for instance, the um, Keystone Pipeline uproar. Yeah, yeah, and speaking directly to that, being Lakota, you know, right? All my relations, my name is Peaceful Warrior. I come here with intent. Every word I speak is of a prayer. Everything that I move is with blissful intent with the hope that I bring you joy and pleasure in the moments that we exchange. That is my vision. As a Lakota person, as a tribal person, we want to remind everybody, I want to remind everybody, don't be fooled by the history you think exists. Mm -hmm. Capitalism is relevant. Monopoly, we're playing it every day. Mm -hmm. But what we don't know is that Economy thrived before Christopher Columbus. Okay, this was not a desolate, unpopulated place. This is fact, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, just because we didn't war write down in uh, books and we didn't have the same culture does not disregard our history, and that's yeah. a big disconnect. So we have a situation where we move from the beginning of creating an economy and playing Monopoly, like Dr. Setian said, there's understanding of land rights as soon as people started putting fences up here that was understood and dictated upon right and so as mm -hmm. we play monopoly in these decades and we move forward uh being a man that comes to you and i just expressed who i am from the deepest sincerest point of my soul and as a tribal person lakota being here from pahasapa the center of the earth here I want to invite all American people, all people, South American, North American, this is where we forget. Mm -hmm. When you say you're American, it has nothing to do with what team shirt you're wearing. It's the blood that's pumping and the ideals that are in your heart. And so we have an opportunity now to embrace hemp. We know that industries competed. We know the economy was structured by forestry by certain industries and that's fine just like you said man i even when i disagree with politicians or business owners or i don't like that owner of a big industry i still as a man i have to respect that it took him a lot of work and mm -hmm. sacrifice to create it he was answering the questions before him and so sitting here 2020 as a lakota man a pipe carrier humble person that likes to sing songs i'm in the band clandestine we, we do clandestine live, you know, and mm -hmm. we, we have fun. But I'm sitting here and I'm reaching out to all individuals in the cannabis and hemp industry to understand that it took a lot of work. It took, right? You, you, we all know this. To get where we are today, it took work. But we have an opportunity to embrace each other as relatives that we've never done this before. Mm -hmm. And when it's been tried, it gets squashed because of that monopoly board. And I'm asking everyone, 
everyone as an American citizen that there's only one guy with that top hat and that little spectacle on his eye, man. Mm -hmm. There's only two or three guys controlling massive amounts of capital and industry. And so when you speak of Keystone Pipeline, my heart hurts as I know oh, that my you. relatives went there. Both native on the, on the end of protesting, right? And I have to, I always say this, I am not an activist because there's labels involved, right? Mm -hmm. As I watched my relatives be attacked by dogs and sprayed with tear gas, I also understood people saying, well, they're breaking the law. And I also understood that there was other people, officers that were following orders. But at one point in our nation, in our country, are we gonna say, hey, it's not okay for one guy or one group of 12 shareholders, 100, 1,000 even shareholders to dictate and we're going to be blinded and we're going to all watch the Super Bowl forgetting that those natives were out there fighting for the rights of your water mm -hmm. that are connected to hemp, hemp farming. Mm -hmm. uh, our, none of us want to see our forests disappear. Nobody does. Right. Nobody wants to see this ocean polluted, perhaps you and I. But is there a guy with a top hat and a spectacle winning this monopoly game right now? And yeah. is that one guy deciding he doesn't care about the ocean and he doesn't care about these natives yeah. out there in the field blocking his pipeline? And no disrespect to business because, mm -mm. man, there's, there's people that dreamed about studying about oil and the surface and he called in every industry there's beauty there yeah. is but as we come to these precipices and I, and I for, and I and I commend you thank you for letting me speak on this because it's close to my heart well it's important hemp is a, a relative literally a being to me mm -hmm. and cannabis is a relative it's another being that exists on this planet yeah right and it's our duty well I have to express gratitude for you speaking to this mm. because it's so rare that we are able to hear that perspective. And one of the things that I think is is leading to this sort of awakening in people is the fact that we have, yes, just a handful of people controlling the interest of our future, controlling the interest of our environment, of the people, the ability to breathe and drink water and have clean food without contaminants. And unfortunately, a lot of those people are connected to the people who are making the rules on their behalf. And you take the, the pipeline, for example, all the way up to the White House, you have people with, with financial interest or financial stake in the companies that are pushing through this pipeline. And for what? And what's going to happen to their grandchildren? Do they really believe that the money that they're able to grab now is going to save them or their progeny when they destroy everything. And, and I think people are starting to wake up to this, and it's all a matter of education, and it's all a, all a matter of hearing people like you speak to that truth. And the more people hear it, the more they awaken to the fact that, you know, yes, yeah. we have the power within us if only we'll open our eyes and realize it and, you know, start demanding that the people who are making the laws start protecting the interests of the people and their environment and their health, and yeah, all of the yeah. things that are important, as opposed to protecting the pocketbooks of just one or two people who are giving them campaign money. Because, you know, trust me, if they really want votes, 
they should protect the people and not just the yeah. people paying for their very true elections. Right? And as we as we move into that, we realize that it's as simple as making really easy decisions. You don't have to leave your house, and mm-hmm. there is right and wrong. Even if we disagree on on some instances, we're not the same religion. We're, there's right and wrong. There's basis of of right and wrong. Correct? Absolutely, there is. But you know the. Just saying we are human beings with all of the division that's going on between us right now, you know, the, all of this partisanship and uh, people are going into their little corners and, you know, getting news from sources that well, align with yeah. their specific beliefs. And there's this sort of underpinning of hatred that's being sown throughout. Well, it's it's called United States of America, not the United People of America. So right. we, we need to understand that there's a lot of division. And 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 uh, they they want that division so they can divide and conquer. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. I mean, the the most of the politicians are dumb under the potato. So it's 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 people behind them that that make the shots and, and call the shots for them to do. Well, things. it's the money behind them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so and... if if we can um, be the, the 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 parallel voice to the the, the mainstream media, um, I think that we can grab enough people to for them to see. A different perspective of of the truth everybody's seeking. Um, same thing with you know we can go back to cannabis and hemp. Um, whatever let's say the mainstream media says about cannabis and hemp, uh, what the American Medical Association says, and why it was established in the first place to stop uh, cannabis and hemp. Which really... they really didn't have a hand in because it, right. it happened with the handful of guys with top hats. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so it's, it's easy for us to, you know, uh, uh, refute even even their arguments. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I've been in a lot of debates. It's it's very easy for for us to debate on religion and... and uh, too easy. Uh, too easy, yeah. E- economy and CBD. But if we are going to make the CBD and hemp as the topic of this conversation, I think that uh, we are at a, at a point where we have enough uh, physician support. Um, we have enough uh, state and federal official support and private sector support and uh, especially tribal willingness for them to create this enterprise that not only will heal the Mother Earth instead of destroying it because you can put hemp in uranium mines around and then you can mm-hmm. pull So <clears throat> we have at least 16,000 uranium mines in the Navajo Nation alone. And that, that tells you what they went through, even until today, uh, for them to die off. So we have that uh, that collaborative right now, which if we can uh, come together, uh, look at it this way, we can put up a pharmacy on tribal lands uh, next to a medicinal cannabis, next to X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Next to a hospice for seniors yeah. where we, we do research, you know? And then... Even more importantly, how much of an impetus is there on tribal lands to really start building out that infrastructure so that people can take the hemp that they grow mm-hmm. and the process and everything? The, can the I speak biomass. to that directly? Just real short, because yeah. I get philo- philosophical. Yeah. And then I want, after this, I wanted to say that uh, the invitation is wide open. Mm-hmm. Dr. Setyana and I are sitting on the ability to achieve it. Yeah, we're the gateway. We have sat with some of the industry's largest companies, largest investors, mm-hmm. and they're still across, they're still 
trying to make their mind up of whether they want to change the world or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, we're in a position of where I want to speak to like what you said is because this is what's being put forth is that we all can look at how bad the earth is and and we said it the prison complex and all these things are happening but ultimately if you really look at it there's electric cars mm-hmm. that drive themselves today mm-hmm. i can do a facebook post and someone from tibet can look at it mm-hmm. and i can tell them my opinion so as we move forth in this country in this world we we have to understand like you said the energy is there to change it like everybody's yeah. changing the reality already mm-hmm. it's being done around yeah. us as we speak and when i spoke to why is there a separation of church and state i wanted to make the point of it's funny because we don't separate that in our bodies maybe you're not religious maybe you're not connected to a church but you sure want your best friend to feel good that day mm-hmm. and no matter how evil that guy in his top hat and his Whoever that guy is, I guarantee he probably had a dog, too, and he was able to sit down and give love and pet that dog's head. We all have that ability, the mind, spirit, body experience and connecting all of those. In 2020, it seems more so than ever. That's Mm -hmm. the thing is, like, we can't be duped by things that are horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 2020 is the year, I believe, that things will start coming into focus and we will start visioning rightly yeah if that makes sense you know and and we we need to press on that because once the tribes understand that there is a need for intertribal commerce and uh, for only 567 federally recognized tribes to come together not to mention the other tribes who haven't been federally recognized how bad is that you know they they need to wait for a federal government to recognize something, it's already stupid, yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, put that on side. Let's let's say if those tribes come together for intertribal commerce, mm-hmm. uh, the first thing that they need to address is healthcare. So if if my health is bad, then I don't care about anything else. So let's come together, fix healthcare mm-hmm. uh, with everything that we got, with all the healthcare innovation we can bring in from abroad, including cancer cures from Europe. Um, introduce the CBD and cannabis uh, and the THC that's required with all the different strands for, you know, OCD, PTSD, uh, help the veterans. Uh, Native Americans give up the largest concentration of veterans in the United States on statistics alone. So if you see an elder, a Native elder, they're probably a Native, I mean, a veteran, right? Right. So uh, can you imagine a veteran um, protecting this country? coming back from war and going back to the reservation where there is no clean water, there is no housing. They're waiting five, six, seven years to get a house and they're homeless and so forth, you know? Nobody's talking about this, mm-hmm. right? Um, I never seen anything on uh, Native veterans situation on CNN. Yeah. I haven't seen it. And you don't even hear about, it. There, are, there are immigrants right. who are veterans who yeah. went and fought in most yeah. recent wars yeah. and, yeah, and suffered greatly to come home 
and have their parents deported. Yeah, deported, yeah. It's just well, unconscionable. Yeah, unconscionable. And, yeah, I mean, but so much of what's going on mm -hmm. today is unconscionable, right. including incarcerating yeah. people for cannabis and including denying them medicine that could actually save their lives or putting them on poison that could eventually kill them. You know, as you know? a, as a, as a non-native, uh, but an authorized agent within tribal country, and uh, we have Kano here as a native, um, who's also an official in, uh, in Europe, um, he can uh, attest to what I'm, I'm about to say. A native country, if they come together, uh, they can not only create uh, an industry, an e economic powerhouse, they can create a currency, they can create uh, their own mint, they can create uh, a country within a country for them to have full control over their destiny. And as a non-native, uh, it's it's easier for me to see because, um, well, first of all, my ancestors are Armenian, so we go back more than 12,000 years. So we have been witness to all these civilizations come and go. Mm -hmm. And when we see the the um, the indigenous, I want to call, I want to say indigenous because it applies to all the indigenous yeah. across the world, okay? I like Not, that word. Yeah, I, I like that too, or First Nations. Mm -hmm. um, there are at least 300 million indigenous people around the world and everybody is suffering mm -hmm. and imagine you being an indigenous and all this is happening to you they steal your land they rip your women and everything else and now you have to and they tell abide. you it's for your good it's for your good <laughs> and then you have to abide by their laws how and how their bad religion is that? Yeah, yeah and their religion so uh as as coming from my ancestor standpoint i have seen genocides before obviously yeah. you know our ancestors were part of a genocide so um, as for myself, it is my kind of uh, a destiny and also my resolve to stop another genocide from at least from continuing on. Mm -hmm. So that's my commitment to, to the indigenous. Um, beyond that, I mean, let, let things happen, but that's my commitment to not, well, on, not only that, but economic development, whatever I can do with all the partners that I can create mm -hmm. uh, to bring the right people with the right hearts in right place for them to yeah. come together, uh, sp speak with Amnesty International, speak with, you know, Canadian Senate, uh, you know, local congressmen all the way to the federal government and everybody to come really come together to realize that there is a huge elephant in the room. Oh, yeah. And nobody's talking. And about nobody's it. talking about right. it. How large, how, what's the population of the indigenous nations combined? In, in the, Here in, in the, the world, in the, well, in the states, uh, in the United States, there are about three point six million uh, Native Americans, Alaskan natives. So the from one hundred and eighty million. Here, I like to do this analogy, right? Because we're uh, approximately one little over one percent of the population. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we know popular music, right? Uh, Billie Eilish just cleaned it up at the Grammys. Okay. <laughs> yeah. She's cleaned it up, Go right? Billie Eilish. So if Billie Eilish was to sell a record to every Native American directly to that just Native American populations, she would then set a record that she sold the most records ever, 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 ever. Mm -hmm. That's the amount of people that are on this country. And I'm putting it into media because that's what people understand yeah. a little bit, right? So right. if you have Super Bowl and you just recreate that that crowd over and over and over and you you add up the numbers, the most popular media in the world has not reached one percent or has not totally garnered one percent of the United States attention. 
Mm -hmm. You only need a percentage of that. So uh, the reason I'm saying that is that's the disparity. Yeah. Is that we don't realize I literally am 49 years old. I am a Lakota Pueblo Spaniard person. And in my lifetime, I can guarantee I'm going to be asked how I live. Are you in teepees? <laughs> do you still have this? And it's relevantly true because, yeah, there's still teepees. And, yes, we do a rain dance. That should ring true to how sincere some things are. And as you move into the place of, like he said, it's really difficult to be a Native person and, 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 and watch the, the powwow that happened last Sunday. Mm. Right? And I'm not even against. I'm not one that is against. I'm totally with if you create something, it was hard work. Mm -hmm. And you deserve to benefit from the, the gains. Right, but right. not at the expense of everyone right. else. Right, and I was going to express that is, is if you're brought to attention that you're causing a disparity, well, it's your responsibility now to speak to it a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now we go to where, like you said, we're in a, such a beautiful time. We are. Yeah. We're in a time where literally the energies around us, nature has put us as humans together, and it's the best time for especially Americans sitting here in Phoenix, Arizona right now. The weather is perfect. I'm going to go sit in a $40,000 vehicle that's air-conditioned and drive home. And that's the story of most of us. Yeah. But we forget. We forget in those times when you're, you're setting up your Super Bowl nacho plate and, and you're doing all these things that you don't have to become Mother Teresa, man. Mm -hmm. You just have to be awake. Right. Yeah. Please wake up. Wake up that yeah. if CBS is willing to sell us Budweiser, have no problem with that. Yeah. Tequila, hey, I'll cheers with you all day, but why? And even them, to their defense, why would a, a company have to block a cannabis commercial that showed that would help? Because we know that if it's doctor prescribed, yeah. me as a musician, I can talk all I want. We can talk Cheech and Chong. We can go to... Snoop Dogg, what's up? We're going to smoke 24-7. We could do all that, and nobody's going to hear it that needs to hear it. Right. They need the doctor to express and know, and yeah. we need the doctors to also, we have to pave the way for them. Right. It's hard to get a doctor's degree. Well, we need to normalize it to the point <laughs> right. where people understand its importance. There you go. Yeah. And how it's going to benefit them. Exactly. You know, from a health perspective, from an environmental mm -hmm. perspective, from an yeah. economic perspective. So... Bringing it sort of full circle, because I'm getting a signal that it's time to wrap it up here soon. Mm -hmm. If someone has an enterprise in one of the tribal reservations mm -hmm. and they are not going to have to adhere to some of the federal restrictions, mm -hmm. they can actually transfer what they're creating, what they're growing or what they're extracting, mm -hmm. their medicinal products mm -hmm. from one state to another as long as it goes within... Tribal lands, is that correct? You want to answer that one? Yeah, there I'll, is I'll uh, there is precedence being set. Okay. And uh, there's communities ready to do that. And really to sum it up, because I get long-winded and I talk philosophy a lot, but really, you know, what, you know what's holding it up is cannabis industry and hemp industry won't lay down the money. Flat out, just straight up to you guys. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm straight up. Tribes are sitting here with resolutions passed. Like most of them, 
most right. of them and and they've sat with cannabis i've and i'm saying this as a consultant i've sat with many brought cannabis companies to tribes that are ready to go and then at the at the table the cannabis company asks the tribe to pay for it mm. it's this it's literally yeah. that simple that's but, where I mean, we're they at. would pay for their own yeah. company elsewhere so why would they ask well i'll 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 add something more please do um the the opportunity for the outside to come in into sovereign lands for them to do business is not for them to avoid something but for them to create something mm -hmm. for future generations at the same time a benefit from sovereign lands many of the non-natives don't understand tribal law they're afraid of sovereignty they're afraid that if they go in and invest into something then they cannot take it out because it's on sovereign lands they cannot take them to court all that you know uh, misinformation you know when when a when two parties come together native and a non-native for a mutually beneficial joint venture that means uh so many good things for the tribal people for generations to come they're not going to trample on a beautiful thing like this that's that's one they they want to make this work mm -hmm. uh, let, let's look at the 101 what the salt river has beautifully done uh, all these lands across 101 are all sovereign <clears throat> Salt River Pima lands. And look at all the thriving businesses that's that you see, the pavilions and so forth, right. the, the aquarium and so forth, right? It's on tribal lands. So if they can do that, being only 10,000 as a population, imagine what bigger tribes can do. And, and that's the thing. Uh, Non-natives need to realize that uh, they are coming into a foreign land. They need to understand the people, their culture, mm -hmm. their laws. Um, the best attorney can't hold a candle to to sovereignty. In other words, their opinion doesn't matter. Mm. Uh, whatever they have gone through as far as schooling goes, all the case studies that they have read, uh, it doesn't apply to, to sovereign lands. Um, uh, uh, <clears throat> An attorney cannot say you cannot grow cannabis on sovereign lands. Yes, you can. Uh, you can transport a sovereign land, mm -hmm. a sovereign tribe. You can do that. Nobody can stop you. Mm -hmm. The feds cannot stop you. The state cannot stop you. As long as you're transparent, you're fine. The whole point is that uh, we are trying to be as fully transparent as we can to, to not only to the federal and state governments, but also to potential investors that there is a, an opportunity right now in Indian country where it is the last frontier on many things, right? including economic development and healthcare innovation. Right. So when I say you talk about capital and I talk about these things, we're not talking about a suitcase full of money. Yeah. We're talking about approaching uh, an industry to create the regulations that don't exist. Mm -hmm. We're talking about paying our own way, basically, uh, together. So if you have a sovereign individual if if I draw just like he said with 101 that's very unique and it's it's a beautiful thing to see that and, and I'm anxious to see as years pass how that benefits tribal members mm -hmm. right and the opportunity lies in as as Vaughn said is to understand that yes you're going into a foreign place but it's actually your place it's your country right right you're yeah and and we're all out to be the best to 
to do the best, you know, when we when we do things as a country on a media level, some of the most beautiful interactions happen when mm -hmm. we pull together as a people. Oh yeah, yeah. it's it's amazing. What the rest of the seen, world. Yeah, what right? we have seen mostly is that there's a lot of greed, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of self-serving uh, perspectives on people. Mm -hmm. Well, what is it for me? Uh, how can I get this for free? How can I get that for free? Not realizing that they're going into a place where they need to make the money for them to provide funding for the children's crayons in the chapter because they, they have run out of money right. for children. You know, the tribal uh, perspective is different. They want to have this economic development for them to thrive, right? to bring opulence and, and so forth, yeah. to, to help grandma, uh, you know, with the prosthetics and so forth. Um, the outside would is looking at this as another investment opportunity, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a different world that we got to merge together for them yeah. to see eye to eye. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Well, this has certainly been enlightening. It's very unique. I'm telling you, yeah. this type of a, a conversation never happens. I, when was the last time? I'm very grateful because this is exactly what I had sort of envisioned for this conversation. So yeah. I have You're to say. You're very kind for inviting us. Thank yes, you very much. Very, yeah. It's well, a, thank you. Thank you so much to both of you, really. And I'm excited about the possibilities of furthering this conversation, too, because I'd like to follow the progress. And sure. I'd like to see people actually approach their reservations to invest in their businesses or bring their businesses there. Well, we there. are the conduit. And so, yes. We are the conduit. Okay. Kano is the conduit. I'm, I'm here to, to really help Kano. Okay. Uh, since he's the indigenous person uh, that's important involved in this endeavor so they can reach out to us and and we can guide them on what needs to be done yeah but we need serious people who have the the hearts in the right place who really are there for the long term to make generational impact to these people so if we look at it from that standpoint it kind of weeds out a lot of a lot of greedy people and the investment in the generational impact there affects all of us oh absolutely you know and i'd like to see strength built within communities that actually appreciate the earth mm -hmm. and you know respect yeah. not only the land but each other that's and, right and in this time of extreme division mm -hmm. it just behooves all of us to remember that we are all citizens of the same planet and there's sure. not another one we can go to mm -hmm. so yeah and so my uh, just for me to say the last thing, uh, which I have expressed in the past, it doesn't matter what society or a country you're in, if, if the indigenous population is worse off than the rest of the population, then that society itself is on a guaranteed path toward self-destruction because mm. we are going to need the wisdom of the indigenous eventually because they know the, the land. Yeah. So we, we're kind of giving, giving it a, a, maybe a, the last chance for us to really... Uh, wise up and become uh, cognizant that listen you know we really need to speak with and, and open a dialogue with with the natives and and even the last medicine men that are, are left and they have nobody else to carry on the torch you know we yeah. we have that to keep those traditions yeah. going right. i'm really glad that you said that because i think that one of the things about this vision 2020 that i keep thinking about mm -hmm. is that in order for us to solve some of the most perplexing problems that we do face right now, climate change, the health crisis, the opiate crisis, um, the, the prison crisis, you know, this, this cycle of violence and poverty and all of that, we really are going to have to start getting back to basics and start remembering 
who we are and how humans survived for thousands of years before people came in and with oil and right. prisons. Yeah. So I think it's really important and I think that we would all be really well served to draw upon the indigenous communities to make sure that those traditions don't die and to make sure that we can go back to those because those are some of the basics that are going to solve yeah. these really the awful, yeah. perplexing problems that we have. Do you have any last thoughts for us? I, I do just want to thank you again. And, and when I say I'm honored, I'm seriously uh, from my heart saying honored to speak mm. uh, not only to you and at this table, but to your listeners. And I do want to express a request. Oh. I, I'd like to request every listener and everyone sitting there to think about where you're sitting. Mm. Please think about it. You, you are an Ameri If you are a U.S. citizen, please just take a moment and remember the history you think about where you are if you are in mesa arizona or if you are in apache junction understand that the chiricahua apaches lived there just like the miners and the calvary but please understand that the entire tribe of the chiricahua nation was imprisoned for 29 years mm -hmm. the entire tribe okay mother Grandmother, grandfather, children, newborn babies were kept out of Arizona. Okay, so specifically speaking to Arizona, it's not about guilt, it's about doing the right thing. And if we're going to do business and work, we have to speak to the truth. Mm -hmm. And it's not about reparations, it's not about activisms, it's about if you live in Arizona and you don't know about the Chiricahua Apaches, Please pick up a book. Mm -hmm. Please drive. They will greet you. There's visitor centers. And out of the Chiricahuas are the Atoms here. That's whose valley this is. The Pima people, this is their home. Every square inch was mm -hmm. their ranch. Okay? So I'm not asking for reparations. I'm not guilting you. I'm just asking you if you're sitting in a beautiful home in Scottsdale, just for a moment, think. Think about your neighbors a couple miles from you that may be in disparity. And it's as simple as a phone call. It's as simple as driving to your corner station and start talking to people. Please reach out to Clandestine, Clandestine Live, Operation Peace Project, and learn about your native communities because you're living in one right now. And there are so many lessons that we can learn if only we take the time to look into it. So, wow. Well, you certainly have given us a lot to think about. And Thank you, Snowden. Again, I'm just so grateful to both of you for Likewise. sharing with us. So, thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you, Snowden. Okay. And with that, it's a wrap. Once again, I'd like to personally thank my guests, Dr. Vaughn Setjan and Juan Cano Sanchez for sharing their insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the work that they're doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode. And there you will find their bios along with information and a link to their website. We have so many people to thank. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio partners Canisphere Biotech, The Growers Network, 
and Blue Mountain Energy. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank our theme song composer, Eric Dahl, and of course our production team here at the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show for always making us shine. And it goes without saying just how much we appreciate our programming directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join me again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Every green is calling